MSW Media. Hey, everybody. This episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. Today, Trump's accounting firm, Mazars, has cut ties with him and retracts their financial statements. John Eastman is claiming attorney-client privilege over thousands of pages of his Chapman University emails. A judge indicates he's going to dismiss Sarah Palin's libel suit against The New York Times. And Rudy's document production deadline to the 1-6 committee has been pushed back to Friday. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. How are you? AG, I am good. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I know when people are listening to this, it was Valentine's Day yesterday, but happy Valentine's Day again. And we said it yesterday. Again. Yes. And there's, like we said, there's all kinds of love in this world. I love you, my friend. I think you should tell people when you do. And there's so many different kinds of love. So celebrate it, all of it. It's good stuff we needed in the world. Yes, absolutely. And we get to do Valentine's Day twice because of time travel and and, uh, podcast time travel. And uh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day to uh, the Trump organization, whose accounting firm broke up with them today. Whoopsie. (laughs) Oops. Is that a Dear Don letter? It's a Dear (laughs) Don. He got a Dear Dear Don. He got a a Dear Don letter today. Dear Don. (laughs) By the time you could be reading this, I'll be gone. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And we also have a very special audio clip today that we're going to play. Uh, in lieu of an interview. Tell us about that, Dana. We do indeed. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because I would love to just just stay tuned. There's um, someone very special to me did a moth story. And um, I'll tell you more about it after the news break. But I got permission from the moth to air that story on the Daily Beans. And it's incredibly important to me. It's very near and dear to my heart. And I think it's a story that's really going to touch a lot of you. And we need it now more than ever. It's about kindness. And so I'm going to gift that to you after our first segment. Amazing. And thanks to the moth for letting us share it. We do have a lot of news to get today. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Don't edit that out. Leave that in. We have a lot of news to get today. What? (laughs) Let's go get it. Let's go get it. Let's go get the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top story today. And this seems to be interesting timing. Because as you you called it, a Dear Don letter, <laughs> Mazars has broken up with him. And, and this letter was written on February 9th. And shortly after, we got another Don Jr. Coke screed on Twitter. And then, of course, we have this weird filing in the John Durham case, you know, against lawyer Michael Sussman. And we're going to go over that in depth on this Wednesday's Clean Up on Aisle 45 podcast for, for those of you who want to hear about that. But it was basically just a filing saying there could be conflicts of interest and it just spewed a bunch of conspiracy theories and with with no indictment like here's a bunch of stuff i don't like and <laughs> it's not against the law until next time john durham i mean that's, that's basically 
what it, what it said. And, and so that came a couple of days after this letter was issued. So it's very interesting. Let me read to you from The New York Times. Trump's longtime accounting firm abruptly cut ties with his family business last week amid ongoing criminal and civil investigations into whether he illegally inflated the value of his assets, court documents, etc. And that that's court documents filed on Monday, by the way, which is today. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> In a letter to the Trump Organization dated February 9th, the accounting firm Mazars notified the company of its decision and disclosed it could no longer stand behind annual financial statements that it prepared for Donald Trump for the last over a decade. They compiled the financial statements. These are like the financial condition statements Don put together, mm-hmm. you know, to say I'm rich when right. he's trying to get loans. And it, they said they're based on information. <laughs> and then say I'm poor when I'm trying to do my taxes. <laughs> yeah. And they and they said that, that those statements were based on information that Trump gave us. So, you know, garbage in, garbage out. We're not, you know, they did the casino hands. We're not liable here. The letter instructed the Trump org to retract the documents known as, again, I said, statements of financial condition from 2011 to 2020. In the letters or this particular letter, Mazar noted the firm had not as a whole found material discrepancies between the information Trump organization and provided and the actual value of his assets. But given what it called the totality of circumstances, the letter uh, directed the Trump organization to notify anyone who receives the statements that they should no longer rely on them. (laughs) (laughs) All that shit we prepared for you based on the bullshit you gave us. Yeah, you better tell everyone it's no good. Take our names off of it. We don't we don't want to be associated with your fucking ass anymore. These statements, which Trump used to secure loans, are, as we know, at the center of two law enforcement investigations into his company. And the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the Office of the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, have been investigating whether Donald used the statements to defraud his lenders into providing him the best possible loan terms. The revelations appear in the new court documents filed by Tish James's office, which is seeking to question Trump and two of his adult children under oath as part of the investigation. Adult children. (laughs) Mr. Trump's lawyers had asked a judge to prohibit the questioning. And in response, Tish James argued in court papers last month the company had engaged in fraudulent or misleading practices. And she goes, here's seven things that I can that I can share without damaging the ongoing criminal investigations or my ongoing civil investigation. And these are just seven things. There's more stuff. But in her filing today, which marked her latest attempt to press ahead with questioning Donald, as well as Junior and Ivanka, included a copy of the Mazar's letter signed by the accounting firm's general counsel. <laughs> the brief letter could bolster James's investigation, which has focused partly on the statements and whether or not they uh, overvalued Trump's various hotels and golf clubs and other properties. Mazar said it concluded the statements were no longer reliable, <laughs> based in part on the attorney general's findings, its own investigation, and information the accountants received from internal and external sources. <laughs> the letter added that Mazar's performed its work in accordance with professional standards. So they're basically saying, look, we, you got to go. Uh, we got this crap from you and we put out your financial statements. We don't have any liability. Bye. Now, it's unclear whether Mazar's break with Trump will have any bearing on the DA's criminal investigation. The firm has been cooperating with that investigation and Trump's main accountant at Mazar's has already testified before the grand jury hearing the evidence about Mr. Trump. To me, the most important part of this letter is something New York Times leaves out of its reporting. And that's this statement. They say due in part to our decision regarding the financial statements, as well as the totality of the circumstances, we have also reached the point such that there is a non-waivable conflict of interest with the Trump organization. And as a result, we are not able to provide any new work product to the Trump organization. 
So that sounds to me like they can't rep Don anymore because they're helping with a civil and criminal investigation into the Trump organization. Well, that would be lovely. That's a huge conflict of interest. They also say the only information left to complete in the 2021 tax return is the information on the Matt Calamari Jr. apartment, which we've been asking for for several months, but have not received. Calamari's apartment is under scrutiny for being untaxed compensation. Oh, good stuff to start us off today. Now, attorney John Eastman, a close ally of the former guy amid his effort to subvert the 2020 election, has attempted to shield more than 10,000 pages of emails counting from congressional investigators, citing attorney-client or attorney-work-product privileges. (laughs) Now, the staggering, I know, they're just making shit up at this point. The staggering total comes amid a court-ordered review by Eastman of more than 94,000 pages of emails. Jesus. That the January 6th Select Committee had subpoenaed from Eastman's former employer, Chapman University. Now, Eastman sued to block the subpoena, but a federal judge last month denied that effort and ordered him to begin reviewing the emails and itemizing his privilege claims. (laughs) In a court filing early Monday, Eastman said he has reviewed about 46,000 pages, nearly half the total, and provided about 8,000 to the committee. Yep, about 27,000 were automatically withheld because they were considered boilerplate mass emails, like campaign solicitations or newsletters. Now, Eastman has attempted to shield the remaining 11,000 from the select committee by citing one of the attorney-related privileges. Now, with half of the review remaining, it's likely that total is going to climb. Mm. Yes, so last month, the judge in the case, U.S. District Court Judge James Carter, he ordered Eastman to review 1,500 pages per day and determine whether any privileges apply. Now, Carter, who has emphasized the urgency of the January 6th investigation, he required Eastman to produce a daily log of documents he's withholding to give the committee investigators a chance to object to his privilege claims, which makes sense. Now, Carter has said he intends to review any disputed documents as Eastman nears completion of his full review. Mm. So the select committee has raised new alarms that Eastman is slow walking or obfuscating their efforts to obtain critical documents related to this effort. Now, in daily court filings, House Counsel Doug Letter, he's complained that Eastman's privilege logs, well, they fail to provide enough insight into the documents he's refusing to provide (laughs) to give the committee an opportunity to even issue informed challenges at this point. He's like, well, I just don't want to give you this one. Yeah, he can't have it. Can you tell us why? No, because I said so. Because okay. I don't want to. Mm. Dick. <laughs> I hope they get everything they need. <laughs> um, next up, a song. Just dick. Just dick. <laughs> Put a dick on it. Just draw a dick on all of his emails. Look, it's privileged. And a source close to the 1-6 committee has told Hugo Lowell that Rudy Giuliani had his document production deadline postponed to this Friday. The issues with Rudy are not yet resolved, and we don't know if it could get pushed back again. Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger, said on the Sunday shows, quote, our expectation is he's going to cooperate because that's the law. That's the requirement. (laughs) Same as if anybody was subpoenaed to court. Yeah. Mm, Good luck with that. He also said there may be some changes and and uh, and dates and moments here, as you know, lawyers do their back and forth. But we fully expect that in accordance with the law, we will hear from Rudy. However, the Illinois Republican emphasized that the committee was already acquiring a lot of information regardless of any testimony from Rudy. Now, Paula Reed came on CNN today and uh, said there's a possibility that Rudy might agree to testify about some topics, including election fraud uh, under oath. Of course, there's no date set and he's not turned over a single document. (laughs) I don't trust Rudy or his lawyers. (laughs) 
I think this is delay. I think they may just want to spread more election fraud lies, maybe during testimony. I'll, yeah, like I'll testify about election fraud and they'll come in and talk about, you know, the boxes of ballots or whatever, the fall of bullshit that was kicked out of court, laughed out of court. Or he may just be dangling his cooperation to get Donald to help him pay his mounting legal fees. He's also under criminal investigation in the Southern District of New York. And Dana, I've left a little schadenfreude for you. Oh, thank you, my friend. All right. Here's your schadenfreude, Beans. A judge has ruled that a libel lawsuit, that former Alaska governor, I still can't believe she's a governor, or that she was a contender for vice president, that the former Alaska governor, Sarah Palin, filed against the New York Times over a 2017 editorial. They decided it should be thrown out because why? Her lawyers failed to produce adequate evidence that the newspaper knew what it wrote about her was false and acted recklessly toward indications that it was false, okay? So they're saying bullshit. We didn't do that on purpose. Now, the ruling from U.S. District Court Judge Jed Rakoff Monday came as Manhattan jury was deliberating on Palin Sue, which claimed that the Times and former editorial page editor James Bennett defamed her (laughs) by unfairly linking her to a 2011 shooting spree in Arizona that killed six people and gravely wounded Rep. Gabby Giffords. I think most of us remember that um, horrifying day for Gabby and the people of Arizona. But Rakoff said he would continue to allow the jury to deliberate to a verdict. Now, arguing that an appeal in the case seems inevitable and that the jury's verdict could be useful to the appeals court. So the judge's announcement that he plans to dismiss the case came after a trial that lasted a little more than a week and as the jury was in its second day of deliberations. Interesting. The jurors left Monday afternoon without reaching a verdict, and they're expected to return Tuesday morning. Now, Rakoff, he said in his ruling that during the trial, Palin's attorneys failed to elicit enough evidence for a reasonable jury to conclude that the 2008 Republican vice presidential nominee had met the actual malice standard that the Supreme Court established for libel suits against public figures in the landmark 1964 ruling, and that was the New York Times company versus Sullivan. So mm. bye-bye, Palin. <sighs> <laughs> I know. I just amazing. Where are we? What's happening? The upside down. <laughs> That's where we are. Definitely. All right, everybody stick around. After this break, we'll be right back with a very special piece of audio. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and The Daily Beans is brought to you today by AG, Athletic Greens, a health and wellness company providing simple daily nutrition. Keeping up with healthy eating habits can be challenging when you have a hectic schedule, or if you're like me and you intermittently fast or you're paleo, and so, you know, there's gaps in the diet and my nutrition, and that's where Athletic Greens comes in. One delicious scoop of AG1 provides comprehensive, convenient daily nutrition. So convenient, it's a, it's a habit that you'll be able to easily pick up. I just have I just have my AG1 before I go to the gym every morning. Now it contains 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food ingredients including a multivitamin, a multimineral, a probiotic and a green superfood blend and more. My day is more productive and focused. I have more energy when I use AG1. I take it first thing in the morning like I said, and in addition to being tasty and healthy, AG1 contains high quality bioavailable ingredients that can replace multiple products or pills in one convenient drink. That's what makes it so wonderful. I don't have to have 18 bottles of everything anymore. And it also fits keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and uh, vegan lifestyles. AG1 has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, 
No artificial anything. It's amazing. It's delicious. It's easy. It's an easy habit to pick up. It's convenient. Fills all those nutritional gaps. And But the thing I like the most about Athletic Greens is that they update as research changes. They change their product as the science evolves. It's continuously improved based on the latest research, which has resulted, by the way, in 53 improvements for AG1 in the past decade and counting. So I highly recommend you give it a try. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free immune-supporting one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Allison, I want to thank you just ahead of time for allowing me to do this. Now, Beans listeners, uh, back in January, um, I the first couple of weeks, I was speaking in code and telling you all to love each other a little bit more and tell the people you love them. I, during that time, unexpectedly lost someone that's very near and dear to me. And if I get choked up, I, I appreciate your patience as I get through it. Um, she was an angel, literally an angel. We had an incredibly special relationship. Uh, I s- helped her through very hard times in her life, and she helped me through very hard times and some lovely times. Anyway, it was a 14-year friendship, and there was an accident um, where she fell and hit her head, and um, there was a brain bleed, from what we understand. And over the ne- the, the couple of days following, we ended up losing her. and. Um, I'm going to share a Facebook post at this point um, to our patrons behind the beans. So for those of you that are on there, you'll be able to read a little bit more about her. But to make a long story a little bit shorter, she did The Moth. And if you're familiar with The Moth, it's an incredible storytelling uh, arena, if you will. And it's people from all over the world, different backgrounds and ethnicity and sexual orientations. And their stories are compelling and beautiful and powerful and sad and, and, and joyful. And my dear friend T... Her full name is Tara Dixon. A little bit about her professional life. She was a trauma surgeon and she actually practiced medicine both as a civilian and as a combat surgeon and and did two tours in Iraq. And she served as the combat chief of surgery during those. Uh, She was one of the most brilliant minds I'd ever known. And she was the type of person who wrote grants and publications. She wanted to further medical understanding. She gave public speeches about trauma. And uh, as a veteran, I know Allison understands a lot of the things she went through and dealt with post-serving in the military. So this story, uh, we emailed them off after T's passing, and I asked if I could have permission to air this. And I hope you will indulge me because her voice is such this Southern Georgian voice that when you hear it, you're like, oh, she's just, it's warmth. But it's not someone you'd necessarily expect to have this background that she does. Um, Oh, so I don't want to tell you too much more about it, but it's about an 11-minute listen. It's going to take the place of our interview today, and it means the world to me to get her voice out there so that more people can know the heart that she had and celebrate her life in this world. So we're going to roll that audio clip now. Please enjoy. Please welcome your next storyteller, who is always telling the truth these days, T. Dixon. So I'm a physician, uh, a surgeon, actually, and uh, that took a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time uh, to get all of that training done. And um, 
Over that time, I went to four years of undergraduate and four years of medical school. At first, I thought I wanted to be an anesthesiologist, so I did some training in that before doing my surgery training, and then ultimately, I did trauma, critical care, and burn surgery fellowship down here, actually. Um, but that's 16 years of training, and at the worst of it, I was at Hopkins in Baltimore, and it was before the 80-hour work week rule. And so we were working about 134 hours a week. And uh, there's only 168 hours in a week. I mean, like, in the entire week, right? <laughs> so that's 34 hours to eat, sleep, and hopefully sleep with your girlfriend, you know? I mean, not a lot of time for the important stuff, people. So um, at one point, I went, like, 93 days without a day off. I'm talking no Saturdays, nor su no Sundays, just 93 consecutive days. Um, and when we were on call, it was usually every other day, every other night, it, and it was in the hospital. It wasn't home call. And um, so we'd go in at 4 a.m., and you might not get home until 4, 6 p.m. the next day. So 36, 40 hours on, a few hours off, and you're back at 4 a.m. One of those times, my counterpart, the other resident, was sick. And so I ended up in the hospital for four days without leaving on call. And I'm not talking about the call room. I'm talking about working. So it was like 101, 102 hours. And um, that's why there's a saying in surgery that is, eat when you can, sleep when you can, and don't fuck with the pancreas. But that's another story. <laughs> so <clears throat> anyway, um, there was one point when I was in residency, I was going through a really tough time, just personally. There's not enough, a lot of time, like I said, for your personal life. And, and it was just a dark time for me. I was in a dark place. I didn't know if I wanted to continue with my surgery training. I didn't know if I wanted to continue with medicine at all. Um, I was depressed. I mean, I was just, I was really hurting. And at the time, I was uh, the chief of the trauma surgery service. And we got this call. We got this patient that was coming in, this, this girl. And the story from the paramedics is she, it was her 16th birthday. And she wanted to take a drive. She wanted to get in her car by herself and go to McDonald's and come back home. Well, she didn't put on her seatbelt. And she took a curve a little too fast, and she goes flying off this curve, which was on a hill. So she goes flying off the hill through the windshield, and then the car flipped over and landed on top of her. So this is a devastating crash, and she's, you know, unconscious, obviously, and has to be intubated, which means a breathing tube put in at the scene. And she comes into us, and she has a head injury that is horrific that could have killed her. She had bilateral lung contusions that could kill her still. And she had a grade four liver fracture that could kill her. She had a grade five splenic fracture that could kill her and a grade five pelvis fracture that could kill her. I mean, this girl was broken. You know, I mean, I guess we kind of both were at that point in time. But that night was insane. And I get her to the intensive care unit and get her on a ventilator. And we're starting this massive transfusion. Normally, we would take that spleen out. You know, you don't really need your spleen. But the, we were afraid to open the abdomen for fear that it let loose that liver. And ain't nobody living without a liver. I mean, it's in the name, liver. You know, you got to have a liver. <laughs> so we couldn't do that. So we're, you know, this crazy transfusion, just trying to keep her alive minute by minute. And, and, you know, at some point I, I hear that the parents have arrived. The crash was in a small town. So even though this, this chick, we don't know who this 16 year old is. She's just Jane Doe to us. She's a random patient. And, uh, so her, but her parents knew that she'd had a crash and they knew where the medics were bringing her. And so they're, they've gone through administration on there in the consultation room. So I finally get sort of a tiny little minute that I can go and just kind of update them. 
And I end up alone with them for a minute. And, you know, and as I was walking there, I was thinking, you know, these five injuries, any one of these injuries could kill her. Like, this is so awful right now. And I have to go and prepare this family. I have to let them know how bleak this is. But I also don't want to squash any hope they may have, because that doesn't help anybody, you know, to squash that. So it's one of those weird things in trauma surgery, especially in the intensive care unit, where the doctors and the nurses are spending almost as much time taking care of the family as they are the patients, who are oftentimes not with it or completely unconscious, you know. And so it's a very delicate balance to do this job. And so I end up alone with them for a minute in in this consultation room, and I say to them, you know, I just, I want you to understand, I don't know if she'll make it through the night, you know, and I've gone through all these five injuries and how each one of them are trying to take her life, like, as we speak. And, um, and I said, but she's 16. I mean, as, as best I can tell, she's a healthy, fit 16-year-old. And if anybody could beat it, you know, that would be it, you know. They're still hysterical. They're sobbing. That was the closest thing I could give them to any kind of hope. And so I'm like, but I got to get back in there. She's real critical. And so I stand up to leave, and I'm walking to the door, and all of a sudden the sobbing stops, and it's like everything calmed down. And the mama says, she's going to be okay. And my hand's on the door, and I stop, and I turn back around, and I said, ma'am, what, what? And she said, she's going to be okay. Her name is Savannah, and she kind of points at me. Your patient doe is Savannah. And I look down, and I'm wearing the appropriate scrub top for that hospital, but for whatever reason, and I think it's the first time it ever happened, I was wearing the inappropriate bottoms. My scrub bottoms were from my medical school, and I had done my clinical rotations in Savannah, Georgia. So Savannah was written across my ass. (laughs) And that was just what they needed, that little tiny bit of encouragement. And if my ass can bring hope to the people. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. You know, what can I say? So anyway, so I was grateful that, that they had some shred of hope. But, you know, I walked out of there and I was like, that was funny. But, you know, but, oh, my gosh, you know, this girl's still dying. You know, so I rushed back in there and, you know, and it was just, I mean, I never left her bedside. Um, and... It was just insane the entire night. And um, she didn't make it through the night. But then every day it was like that. There was, you know, it was a constant battle to keep her alive. And, you know, I'd go in there and I'd be like, hey, Savannah, it's Dr. T. She's unconscious. But, you know, I'm still talking to her. And, um, and we had to do a lot, of, a lot of painful procedures on her during that time to help get her through this. Um, you know, she had... You know, chest tubes put in, chest tubes taken out. Those chest tubes are very large. They're like garden hose-sized tubes that go in between your ribs to drain off fluid, air, and blood from around the lungs so the lungs can work better. And, um, and she had to have those procedures multiple times. I put in multiple central lines, which are like really large IVs that go in your, in your neck. And um, ultimately, obviously, we had to give her a tracheotomy, which is a breathing tube through the neck as opposed to through the mouth. It's a more stable long-term treatment for somebody on a ventilator, particularly with a bad head injury, and a feeding tube. And so there were all these things, and, you know, I tried to warn her before I did anything to her and, um, and just continued to, to take care of her. And we, we made it through day by day, but still, you know, 
There, you knew that there were going to come complications from all these. Like these were too horrible of an injury to get away with just, oh, you're healed. You know, so it was just like, when is the next complication coming? When is the next fight for her life coming? And it was like that every day and week after week. And even at that, we were like, even if we get her through this, we don't know if one day she's going to, you know, wake up at all. And if she does, you know, with that brain injury, will she be catatonic? Will she be in a regress state? Will she just have some deficits? I mean, we had no idea. But I took care of her on that intensive care unit for two or three months, and then I consulted through the vascular surgery service for some blood clots for a few more months. But after about five months or so, it was time for me to move on. I rotated out to a different hospital in that same town, and I lost track of her. I mean, that service had anywhere from 30 to 50 patients on it at any given time. And I mean, I treated hundreds of, of patients over those same months that I was taking care of Savannah. So I lost track of a lot of patients. And I went on to go back to the, I mean, it was the same as it was there, but you know, 100 plus hours a week and, and just a high stress, you know, job all the time. And, and I was still struggling and still didn't know what I wanted to do in my personal life. I didn't know what I wanted to do in my career. And, um, you know, and, and with surgery, the stresses are, are as much mental as they are just the time. It's not just the physical tiredness and the time, but, you know, I'm the type of person I took my work home with me a lot, so I would worry about the patients and the cases even when, when I was off duty. And so it was, it was a very difficult time, and I just felt like I was really just kind of limping along during that time. So about a year after Savannah's surgery, or about, not surgery, but after her accident that she had. I was back in that same intensive care unit again, and um, I don't know where she was. And, um, you know, and I'm working on all these patients, and one day I'm talking to this nurse, and if you hadn't noticed, I talk a little loud. That's just normal. And, um, and so I'm talking to this nurse across the way, and this girl approaches me, and she's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, hey. And, um, yeah, I don't know who she is. And she lowers her shirt a little bit in the front to show me a tracheotomy scar. And just about the time I realize who she is, she says, it's me, Savannah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, she looked great. She was healthy, and she was talking to me, and she only had one class to make up so she could graduate with her fellow, you know, high schoolers. And she was so excited. And... It was so much better than, you know, I ever thought that she would be after all that she had been through and all those, those injuries she had. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute, how do you know who I am? Like, you've never met me. You were unconscious every time I ever took care of you. And she said, oh, well, I recognize your voice. You were the one who talked to me. <laughs> so all those times <clears throat> that I would say, Savannah, this is going to hurt. But I'm going to do everything I can to try to make it as painless as possible. But it's going to hurt a little bit. She had heard me. And she remembered it. And, um, and so I knew that treating people like a human being, it does matter. It does make a difference. And for me, that's when I finally realized that all that sacrifice and all that blood, sweat, and tears, it was worth it. T. Dixon. Oh, her voice. Allison, thank you so much. Her voice lives in me. And um, 
I, I, you know, it's funny because I think when people hear about trauma surgeons, they always think they have a very specific personality in mind for those people. And it's just sort of a reminder that don't judge a book. Trust me, don't judge a book by the cover because there are some incredible people out there and even trauma surgeons with beautiful hearts and bedside manners that they're doing good things in this world. So thank you to the moth. Thank you to the Daily Beans for letting me have this moment and for getting her voice out into the world. And I thank you, Beans listeners, for staying with me through that. We've got more joy coming up in the next segment. So stay tuned. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And today's show is also brought to you by Helix Sleep. We all know how awful it is to suffer from poor sleep. In the past, I've experienced insomnia. I've tossed and turned all night, night sweats. In the beginning, I thought it was stress and anxiety. But as it turned out, I was sleeping on a mattress designed for somebody else's sleep preferences, but thankfully I discovered Helix Sleep. Every body type and sleeping style can be accommodated by a Helix mattress. You can take their online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans to determine which mattress is perfect for you, and you will have the best night's sleep of your life. You can choose from a wide array of mattresses, soft, medium, and firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, mattresses that align your spine so you don't wake up with aches and pains. They even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. Uh, I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I sleep on my side and I like a medium for a mattress. So it's perfect for me. And thanks to Helix, I fall asleep fast. I stay asleep throughout the night and I wake up feeling refreshed and alert. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty, 10. And you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They even have financing options and flexible payment plans available. So a good night's sleep is never far away. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news, corrections, pod pet photos, Halloween pictures I take all year, anything you want to send us, uh, whoobies, lovey stories, little stuffies you got, I want to hear about it. And you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And by the way, the pet tax and other pictures in the good news are available to patrons and Supercast subscribers. So if you're not, three bucks a month and you help us not be on Spotify. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my new kick. You could just help us not be on Spotify. We really appreciate you. And I have to say some good news, like big ups to the fucking halftime show at the Super Bowl. Oh, my goodness. That w- I wanted Cincy to win. It was a good game. Uh, regardless. But that halftime show was, you know, artists whose careers spanned five decades, music from three decades. It was for everyone. It was for all of us. And Eminem taking a knee yep. while Dre played piano, which I didn't know he could do. Uh, amazing. Dr. Dre is incredible. Also, I just think it's really funny. And it, if you follow their careers at all, you know, Eminem and Dr. Dre used to have a very deep riff. And obviously that is long in the past. It was just a really... It's the stuff we grew up on. That's our jam. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely wonderful. And, you know, now their whole, oh, my God, New York Post, Snoop Dogg smoked weed before the performance. I'm like, okay, it's California. It's <laughs> yeah, legal. so did and it's the Snoop crowd. Dogg. No it's shit. Snoop Dogg. Dude. I loved watching him high five with Martha Stewart. <laughs> the fact that they are best friends should tell everyone that maybe we can 
but you know, books. build some of I these bridges. <laughs> I fucking love it. I loved it so much. I couldn't believe he crip walked. I I never thought I would ever see that shit on national television. It was amazing. The whole so thing good. was just fucking Mary J. Blige blew me away. The all of it. Kendrick Lamar, poet laureate, Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. Fuck. Yes. It was so good. All right. Anyway, on to the good news. First up from Grandma Kathy, no pronouns given. Love the show. And the interview with Howie Wynn. Steve and Mariah are great. Our local indivisible group in my smallish town advises out-of-area donations to be withheld, at least until after the primaries. We have too often been undermined by national campaigns on behalf of candidates that we know better than national actors. Often the people that the national folks think are the best, we know have flaws. And that may be to their and our detriment. Act locally. Always excellent and excellent advice from Mariah. And I'm so glad that they, that, that Mariah and Steve came on the show. I'm going to hit the next one, too, because it's a little short for Margs. No pronouns. Dana. Yes. You owe me for dry cleaning costs. Happily. After causing me to spit out my coffee when you said Melania tells Donald, don't touch this box. <laughs> What's in the box? Oh, my God. Too funny. She says I may have a confession someday soon. Until then. Please keep up the good work. Thanks, Marks. I thank you, Marks, and we look forward to your confession. <laughs> All right, this is from Evan, pronouncing in him, Leguminati. May I present my lovable, destructive fella, Gooley. Gooley's a great Dane, though I often call him a mediocre Dane when he eats couches. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, really, he destroys a couch quarterly. Oh, my God. His love language is presenting his butt. For scritches and then stealing, then chewing up clothes and hairbrushes. He hogs the bed and, and paws huge scratches in my arms and belly. He is awful, and I can't imagine life without him. Look at this. And then there's a little black... Look at the lab back oh, there. Oh, I know. Oh, right. And then we have an eaten couch. Oh, my okay. God. Damn. I know, right? You know, all form has a forever warranty. Okay. Oh, you want me to pop out the short one? Yeah. Hit the next All right. One. This is from Daniel, pronouncing him. Oh, my God. The picture just came up. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I've been listening since years ago with Muller. Uh, with Muller, she wrote, you've uh, helped me get through a dog passing and a divorce. Thank you for all you do. Here's a picture of my new cowboy corgi, Winston. Oh, Aww. my God. Daniel, I'll be your Valentine. Look at this baby. Oh, my God. Speaking of corgis, oh God, this dog is so cute. I watched Spencer on my flight back. Okay, I watched the first half hour of Spencer on my flight back from New York with uh, Kristen um, uh, Stewart with Case Stew, who's up for an Oscar for it. Uh-huh. There's a scene in the beginning where she gets back to the palace, and I don't know who's getting out of the car, but like 45 corgis jump out of this car. And I was like shrieking with joy watching this movie. It was the funniest scene. And it's not even supposed to be funny, but when like 12 corgis, like, low jump out of an automobile. <laughs> it was Amazing. the best. It was the best. I'm going to have to check that out for sure. I love corgis. Best butts in the dog business. Indeed. Next up for Mary, pronouns she and her. I finished reading Corruptible by Brian Kloss for the MSW Book Club. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to read Here, Right Matters by Alexander Vindman next, which I know that you covered in the MSW Book Club last year. I know that you have a lot of work on your plate, but I hope that the MSW Book Club continues for the foreseeable. The books that you select for the book club are ones I probably wouldn't pick for myself. I usually read a lot of fiction. So reading books that are more centered in the policies, politics, and or memoir fields provide me with fresh perspectives and insights that I appreciate. I always wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Mary. As a side note, AG, if or when you ever do publish your own book, I will definitely read it. I really like your communication style. So if or when you do publish your own book, I hope that you get to do the audiobook recording as well. Oh, I will require it, Mary. Absolutely. 
You better. That would be weird for like a person known for their podcast to have somebody else read their audio book. <laughs> it would be funny. Um, Dana, can you do me a favor? Nope. Yeah, come on. Back and forth. You, I'll read one chat paragraph. You read the oh other. Oh my God, don't because people are going to request it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and thanks for that. And I, I think our next book club is going to be Wajahat Ali's Go Back to Where You Came From. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. All right. This is from Jenny Pronoun. She and her. Hi, I just discovered your podcast today through Politics Girl and immediately felt deeper in love as the show went on. Aww. Crochet story. You got me hooked. Nice <laughs> sentence there, Jenny. <laughs> cute, <laughs> cute animals. I'm yours. Then you answered the question about the listener's children supporting Trump. That is absolutely the best answer and honestly, only real answer I've heard in this dilemma. In my case, it's my parents that have been swept into this mess. Now, I love your idea to show grace and deal with the feelings instead of throwing it in their face. We can only hope eyes are opened and our loved ones return to us. Now I'm listening back through old episodes, looking forward to what comes next. Oh, first pick is my 16-year-old dog, Nibbler, wearing the red sweater, who's been our furry baby for 13 years, and our new addition, eight-year-old Dusty, who has been home just three weeks today. Second pick is our two-year-old cat, Waldo, and we found <laughs> that we found it six weeks old. I wonder how many times they were like, where's Waldo? Yeah. All three are rescues and are the best babies we could ever ask for. Okay, look at this beagle and then whatever this minpin mix is. Oh my so, goodness. Okay, the cat is hilarious. Cat's beautiful. The cat is like, excuse me? I know, what? And look at the dog in the background. Nice. Very nice. I want no part of this. Jenny, thank you. And isn't Politics Girl, isn't Lee McGowan just one of the um, like most amazing, brilliant minds? I absolutely love her stuff. And I love that we're network partners with Midas and that, you know, we get to to help promote each other's work because all their stuff and, and hers, hers particularly touches my heart because, you know, we're kind of we're like samesies. And so she's just absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much, Jenny. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, may I recommend the episode called. Oh, what's it called? Uh, plastics. Mega mega plastics. <laughs> what is it? What's the first word? Oh, here. I you have to you have to look it up because she's got to <laughs> definitely go back. It's one of our. All-time greats. Let's see here. It's called Charismatic Megaplastics. <laughs> you have to check it out. Amazing. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Yes, 100%. All right, everybody. Thank you. If you have any good news stories you want to send in, what you're crafting, what you're creating, any of your Whoobies stories. I love these Whoobies stories. Uh, I think the oldest one we have now is 70 plus years old. So that's the one to beat for time. But I mean, I think the spaghetti squash story is, is the one to beat for cute weirdness. Photos of corgis, always welcome. Any dogs, send us your pet, pod pet tax pics. That's so hard to say. And uh, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. And uh, do you have any final thoughts today, Dana? I do. I just want to say, just to go back to the story you all heard uh, from my dear friend T, who I will miss dearly with all of my heart. Be kind to each other. You never know who's listening, even when you're not sure they are. Even when you don't think you're reaching them, be kind because you may be changing someone's life for the best or literally saving it. So I love you all very much. Thank you. And um, I love you too, Dana. And everybody, you know, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.